Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Start a new series today called Storyline. Um, and so I've got a chair and a kind of an end table. Any readers in the house? A few. I'm the type of guy that, like, I start a book, and then I'll get about a third of the way through it, and guess what I do? I stop, and I start another book, so, <laughs> because I have ADD when it comes to things like that. Um, so this series is based off a children's Bible that I got Ella, uh, like, almost 11, 12 years ago, maybe. I got it at a conference in California, and it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Anybody heard of it? Um, we give it to, to all of our families that have a child dedicated here. Um, the parents get a book called Praying Circles Around Your Kids because, good Lord, we got to pray for our kids, right? Uh, but then we also give this to share, to read with your kids at night. And, and what it does is, is it points out Jesus all through the scripture. And a lot of times we take the Bible, um, the 66 books written you know, by multiple authors, and, and we break it into two parts. There's an Old Testament and the New Testament. And we see the Old Testament as the story of the children of Israel you know, becoming God's people, and it's a story of kings and wars and all that. And then we see the New Testament as the story of Jesus and, and the beginning of the church and then the prophecy of Jesus' return. But it's actually all one story. And so I'm going to read just a couple of pages from this, and it says, um, God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing the way a kitten chases her tail, right? But kittens are not they're not angelic, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims all points back to him, and God put into words too, and he wrote a book about it called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what to do and what you shouldn't do. The Bible certainly has some of those things. They show us how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not about you. It's not about you. I know that's hard for some of you to imagine that something's not about you. And it's not about what you should or shouldn't be doing. Listen to this. It's about God and what he has already done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy, people you should be like. The Bible does have heroes in it, as you'll soon find out. And most of those people in the Bible aren't really heroes at all. They make some big mistakes and sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away. At times, they are just downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who came from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. 
It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, and everything to rescue the one that he loves. It's like the most wonderful of all fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is, guess what? It's true. Oh, man. <laughs> there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the, story, all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and came to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible, beginning to end, to tell the story. And at the center of that story, there is a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. And that name is Jesus. And so this series, Storyline, is to help us read the Bible in that way. And that from Genesis to Revelations, there is a single story thread that's running all the way through it. And there is a single character that is all the way through it. And some of you may not have recognized that. Some of you may have been reading the Bible with the lens of the Old Testament and the New Testament and books and letters and hero stories and all those things. And, and that's good, but there's a better way. There's a better lens. And today I want to build a foundation to help us read the Bible better, especially the Old Testament, to give us a better lens as we're moving towards Easter. And for those of you who are teachers or maybe you love reading stories, you know that, that stories have a few main parts within them. And so the, the elements of a story is there's a setting, there's a plot, there's conflict, and there's a main character. There's setting, there's a plot, there's conflict, and there's a main character. And so when you look at the setting, that's the where. Where is this story taking place? And, and, and we, we read this story, and yes, it's in, it's in Egypt, it's in Jerusalem, and all this. But when you look at it in today's, um, uh, like, like in our life today, this story that we're reading, even though there's an end to the book, the story still hasn't ended. It's still taking place in our hearts and in our lives. God is still writing the story that started even before in the beginning, and he's writing it in our hearts and in our lives. The plot, God is working to redeem and restore his people back in relationship with him. The conflict that, that, that is in this story, and we see it all throughout and even our own lives, is, is our desire to do things our way. Our desire to do things our way and, and to do things on our own. And God is constantly trying to show us that that is not the way. And then the main character in the entirety of the story, and even today, is Jesus. Jesus is the main character from Genesis to Revelations to today. And we sing about it today that he is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. His story is present in what we read in scripture. His story is present in our lives Today And so building the foundation for how we're going to approach these next several weeks, um, we're not going to start at the beginning, but we're going to start kind of in the middle end. And it's kind of like a um, M. Night Shyamalan movie where you start at the end. And then at the end, it goes to the beginning, like Sixth Sense. You guys remember that? And it's like you get to the end and you're like, wait, Bruce Willis has been dead this whole time? What? <laughs> And <laughs> some people know where I'm going. But it's like, here's what I want you to understand. is like when you read scripture and you get to the end, we go back to the beginning and realize Jesus has been alive this whole time. What? <laughs> right? Not just in the beginning, but he has been alive since before time began. And I want us to be able to read scripture that way. And so we're going to look in Luke chapter 24. And 
uh, verses 13 through 34, and, and I will tell some parts of the scripture, and I will read other parts of the scripture, but this is, this is taking place after Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and this is three days after his burial, and he's, he's, he's just risen from the dead that day, and there's some disciples um, here in Luke chapter 24, that they are, they are walking and they are on their way to this place called Emmaus. And, and as these two disciples are walking, Jesus actually comes up beside them and behind them and begins walking with them as well, but they don't realize and recognize who Jesus is. And so in Luke chapter 24, we'll pick up in verse 17. And so Jesus is walking with them and he says, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And so there was some, there was some tense fellowship. Um, there was some deep conversation, emotional conversation going on there. And he says, look, what are you guys talking about? And so they're walking, and it says that they stopped short, and they were sad, and, and sadness was written across their face. And then one of them actually replied. He said this to Jesus. You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard of about all these things. And basically saying, look, dude, have you been under a rock? Like, this is the biggest thing that's happened in our city ever. How have you not heard about this? He says, have you not heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days? And Jesus is like, oh, what things, <laughs> right? And that's what Jesus, Jesus is always asking us questions, not because he wants to know something. He's wanting us to know something. And it's in asking us these questions, we process, we think, we give room to the Holy Spirit to reveal these things. And so these, these two guys, they, they begin telling about everything that happened. There was this man named Jesus, and he was crucified. He did, before he was crucified, he did all these miracles. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet, a leading priest. And he said, we had hoped that he would be the Messiah who had come to rescue us. But he died and all this happened three days ago. And then it says there's some women came from our group and they went to the tomb. It was empty. One translation says that the women confused us. And I kind of snickered when I read that because that happens sometimes in my world, right? They, the, 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 the women said he was gone. They said his body was missing. And then an angel showed up and all these incredible things are happening. And then Jesus chimes back in. He says in verse 25, he said, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer these things before entering his glory? And then verse 27 is, is a key verse for today. It says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets from all the scripture, the things concerning himself, he explained. Another translation says he interpreted all of scripture, all of Moses' writings, all the prophets, all the Psalms. And so in this walk, Jesus is basically interpreting scripture, describing himself in the Old Testament. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to interpret scripture, seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And so they go back to the house and Jesus pretends like he's gonna like, like go on and it's like, no, just, just stay with us. And they still don't know it's Jesus. So they go in the house and, and, and they're breaking bread, they're eating. And it says that, that Jesus broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, they recognized that it's Jesus. And then he just disappeared. He ghosted right there. And, and, and they make this statement like, did our hearts not burn as we were walking along the road and he was speaking? And they knew something was going on. They quite couldn't put their finger on it. They knew something was different about this man. But once he, he interpreted and opened their mind to it, they recognized him. And so the disciples then, a few verses down, they go tell their friends what just happened. 
and they're, they're all in a locked room because they're afraid of being caught, being found out, and Jesus just walks through a wall, freaks them out again. <laughs> and, and he says, hey, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. So they fix him a fish sandwich, and they're all standing around Jesus as he's sitting at the table, like, like just watching him eat. Like, I would love to know what, <laughs> what Jesus was thinking as they were watching him. And so they make this statement, there's this conversation that happens, and then in, in, in verses 44 through 45, Jesus says this. He refers back. He says, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then what did he do? He what? Opened their minds. He opened their minds to understand the scripture. And just another foundational piece in John chapter 5, Jesus is, is in debate with some of the religious leaders of the time because Jesus is starting to, to um, gain some notoriety. He's starting to gain some influence. People are starting to follow him. He's performing miracles. And the religious leaders are getting upset. They're getting jealous because they think he's being blasphemous. And so there's this conversation going about him being not just the son of God, but, but even God incarnate. And they're like, how can this be? And he talks about all these witnesses that, that his miracles and his teachings are a witness, that Moses was actually a witness, that um, John the Baptist was a witness to who he is as the son of God, as the coming Messiah. And then he says, God's word is even a witness. In John chapter five, verse 39, Jesus quotes this to the, to, to the religious leaders. And, and he's trying to help them understand who he is. Like the Messiah, the King, God incarnate is standing right in front of them. And they're looking back at all these scriptures, but they don't see him there because they don't see him here in front of him. And so he says this, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But here's what the scriptures do. The scriptures point to, what does he say? Me. That everything you've been reading for centuries, everything you've been studying, it's all pointing to me, but you don't see it. But Jesus connected with some people that once they saw it, they couldn't unsee it. You guys ever seen those things like, like you see something and you just can't unsee it? It's always there. Right, And so like every time you look at something, like I know a secret about that, like it's there, you just can't unsee it. There's some logos, you guys may have seen these, like there, there are hidden meanings in logos that, that, that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Can you guys throw the first one up there? This one's kind of obvious. So this is what logo? FedEx. I worked a year there. It was an incredible season. I learned a lot about FedEx. So there is a hidden logo in FedEx. Do you guys know what it is? The arrow, all right? So the E and the X make an arrow, which means that they're sh moving things forward. They're shipping. Some of you like Bob, right? And so, so I was explaining this to, to my girls one day because every time a FedEx truck walks past, it's right here, guys, in case you can't see it. There's an arrow right there in case you can't see it. And so, so my kids now, every time they see a FedEx truck or a guy delivers, they're like, hey, do you know that guy, Dad? I'm like, no. There's so many people that work at FedEx. And so I was explaining the story. And then Millie was like, well, that's really cool about the arrow, Dad. What does the spoon mean? And I'm like, spoon? There's no spoon. And she was like, yeah, dad, where the E is, what does the spoon mean? <laughs> and so, and so now every time I look at the FedEx symbol, I not only see the arrow, but I can't unsee the spoon. 
And I'm like, I have no idea. They had, they had no idea they were putting it there. The, 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 the next one was this, and I, and, and I love this. Um, we all shop there now, right? When, when we were getting all the supplies in for the church, it was like the, the Amazon guy was at our door every day. Here's another package. So we know that the Amazon logo also has what in it? A smile. Because we're all like happy to get stuff from Amazon, right? It makes our life easier. But there's also another intentional little logo in there that you might not know. The air, this is not just a smile, but it is an arrow that goes from A to because they have everything from A to Z, right? What, right? So we've got a couple more. These are fun. So, so the next one is this. Um, I love these. There, there are two ways to eat a Reese's, or, or uh, I love Reese's more than Hershey's, actually. Chocolate, peanut butter, come on. Um, but there's two ways to eat a Hershey Kisses, and, and one way is the, the right way. You can just chew it up and swallow it, or you can let it melt in your mouth. That is the right way. You're doing it wrong. But... Um, within this logo, there is also a Hershey kiss hidden in the logo. Did you guys know that? Hmm. Between the K and the I, right here is a little Hershey kiss. Ah, now you know. We've got two more. You guys ready? This is fun, right? All right, so give me the next one. Um, Goodwill. Used to shop in Goodwill all the time. Now, now here's, like I always look at that. I was like, oh, that's, that's half a face. Why not a whole face? Because it's not just a half a face. It is a G because the G is on the bottom. So not only does it have two Gs, but it has two half a smiley faces, right? Um, who knew that one? Anybody else know that one? A few. Oh, okay. It's like, it's like, I don't see it. It's okay. Um, we can talk after service. Now, now, this next one is kind of the same thing, but not. Any Bulls fans in the house? Come on, come on, all day. Like, 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 Rosen is killing it. I love watching that guy, but I, I will always be a Jordan fan, the GOAT, right? So um, Chicago Bulls emblem just looks like a bull unless, now this is, this is, this is, this is, turn it upside down, go to the next one. You see a sad robot reading a book. <laughs> Does anybody else see that? <laughs> You see a sad robot reading a really big book, and he's sad because the book is so big. And so I had forgotten about this. And, and we were in Lids a few, like, last week, and Addie was like, Dad, remember the robot? And I was like, what? What do you mean the robot? She couldn't unsee it, so she took the hat and turned it upside down and had to re-explain the robot to me, right? Come on. So you guys are going to be looking for stuff all the time. So go and share this with your friends. They'll think you're super smart um, or really, really weird, right? And so this is what I want for you as you continue to read Scripture, because we're all at different places in our walk with God and, and we read the Bible differently. And, and honestly, like, like if you are a new believer, um, I, I would tell you not to start in the Old Testament. Start in the book of John. Start in the book of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Get the story of Jesus because once you see the story of Jesus, it opens your eyes to everything else in the Old Testament because Jesus has been here not since just his birth that we see in, in the Gospels, but he's been here since the beginning. 
John chapter one says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. When we see God speaking things into existence, it is Jesus that is the word that is being spoken and creating things. Um, First Peter chapter one says that he was even present before recorded time. First Peter chapter one, verses 18 through 20, it says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. Because of the fallen nature of man, because of Adam and Eve and their sin, we are born into an empty life and we've inherited from this. And it was, so, so God has paid the ransom and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. Like right now, like, if, like crypto and gold and silver, like it's all over the map. It loses its value. But it says, instead, the ransom was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And look at this. It says, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. So even before the world began, Christ was. He was chosen as the perfect spotless lamb to pay the ransom for our depravity, to pay the ransom for our sin, to close the gap between us and God. And so here's, here's what I want you to understand in, in this context, is that our story does not begin within the beginning. And we want to start there, but it doesn't begin there. Our story as believers actually begins with it is finished. With Jesus' last statement on the cross before he gave up his breath and surrendered. And it says that the veil tore not from bottom to top, but it tore from top to bottom by the power and the presence of God. When he spoke those words, that meant that the ransom for our sin that the thing that was needed to bring us back into relationship with God was completed. So our story does not begin with in the beginning. Our story begins with it is finished. And so to help us process to see Jesus in the Old Testament, I've got three lenses that, that we can change out as we're reading. And, and over the next four to five weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at some, some stories. We're going to look at some heroes in the Old Testament that you may have read in one way but now I want you to go back and see what you couldn't unsee. And so we see Jesus showing up three different ways in Scripture. The first is this, is, is he is found as the angel of the Lord. And, and in different interactions with heroes and individuals in the Old Testament, there, there's a character that shows up, and, and sometimes we may not fully understand who that is, and it's just the angel of the Lord. And, and there is a difference between saying an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord. Because every time this individual shows up, it is always the angel of the Lord or the commander of, Lord's, of, of the Lord's army, not just an angel. Because an angel could be Gabriel, could be Michael, could be someone else. But it, the, the writers are very specific by saying the, which means there's not many, but there's how many? There's one. There is one angel of the Lord. And so we see this, and just, just to give you a couple of references to go back and read, in Genesis chapter 16, there's a story of, of, of Abraham and Sarah, and, and they had a servant named Hagar. And they were, God had promised Abraham and Sarah a kid, and it wasn't working out in their timeline. 
which is how most things in our life work. Can I get an amen, right? Not in our timeline, but in God's timeline. And so, so Sarah's just like, look, take my, you know, my servant. Maybe she can produce a child for me. And so that happens, and then there's some bitterness that, that, that takes root, and Hagar is chased away. And it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to her and made a promise to her. And then I love this statement that says, she calls him the God who sees me. And so with Abraham, when he finally had his promised son in Isaac, God challenges him to offer him as a sacrifice. And they climb a mountain and they make all the preparations. And, and Abraham goes to raise the blade to sacrifice his son, trusting God. It says that the angel of the Lord called from heaven. And then in Exodus, we see Moses come onto the scene and, and he's, he's out in the wilderness and it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush that did not burn up. Guess who that was, guys? That was Jesus. That was Jesus pre-incarnate showing up in that moment, in that space, in that time, because guess what? He can do that. He's all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere at the same time can be there. So he shows up. He's found as the angel of the Lord. The second thing is this, is he is foretold through prophecy. That there are some scriptures in the Old Testament that we don't really see him there, but we see him there because some of the writers of the Old Testament, whether it's David or Moses or even some of the prophets of Isaiah and Ezekiel and all these other names that are kind of hard to pronounce, right? They are inspired to predict, to foretell the coming Messiah. And most of these were written like 500 years before Jesus's birth. And so we read things like in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, um, 700 years before Jesus was born, actually. Um, there's over 500 of these verses in the Old Testament. Isaiah very early on says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 700 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah is inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit to prophesy and predict Jesus coming. He's there in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53 verses five through six, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With the wounds, we, with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. That's the problem, right, in this story. It says, and the Lord has laid on him all the iniquity of us all. What Isaiah is prophesying there is the death that our Savior would experience because of not his sin, but because of whose sin? Our sin. So we, we see Jesus found in the angel of the Lord. We see him foretold through prophecies and writing in scripture. But then this is the other thing that we're really gonna look at is, is we're gonna see him foreshadowed um, as Christ types. Now, this may be a new term for you, like Christ types. Like, what does that mean? Well, that just means like a type of Christ, right? <laughs> Change the words. But what he's saying is like there, there, are, there are people and there are things and images and, and, and events in the Old Testament that are representative of the Christ to come, that they are foreshadows of who he's going to be and also what he's going to do in our life and also in the lives of those to come. And so some of these things, when we look at some of the people, um, we just mentioned Isaac, Abraham's son. 
And so the parallels between Isaac and Jesus is that he was Abraham's only son. Jesus is God's only begotten son. Isaac was born through a miraculous birth by like a 99-year-old woman who said, like, how can I enjoy such pleasure, okay? And Jesus was born through a virgin, a 16-year-old, who has never enjoyed such pleasure. Isaac was offered as a sacrifice. Jesus was offered as the final sacrifice. We see Jesus foreshadowed in Moses. And when you look at the story of Moses, and we're going to dig a little bit more into these um, throughout the next several weeks, when, 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 when Moses was born... Um, Pharaoh had ordered all the children to be killed. When Jesus was born, Caesar had ordered for all the children to be killed. Um, Moses led his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. Jesus led his people out of bondage and slavery to sin. We see David as a shepherd and as, as a king. We see David born in Bethlehem, Jesus born in Bethlehem. Um, Jonah went and was preaching repent, and he was swallowed up by a well and was buried in a well for three days. Jesus was buried in a tomb for three days. So we see Jesus foreshadowed in all these stories that probably we've, we've read and we've heard growing up, but maybe we didn't quite see it. But now it's my hope is that you can't unsee it. And we see some of these images of things. Noah's art is just, you know, Noah built a boat, uh, but Jesus is our ark to save us from God's wrath. Um, the ram caught in the bush with Isaac's sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice in place of us. Uh, the manna from heaven that we read about, it's like frosted flakes, right? Jesus is the bread of life that always satisfies. The Passover lamb that was sacrificed, Jesus is the final Passover. We see the temple in the Old Testament, the place where God's presence is. God's presence was walking among his people in Jesus. And so he is, he is found, he is foretold, and he is foreshadowed. Benjamin Warfield, a, a theologian from Princeton, he made this statement. He said, the Old Testament is like a richly furnished but dimly lit room. It's like you go into a room that's just decked out to the nines, but it's dimly lit. You can't see everything. That's the Old Testament. Everything's there. We just can't see it all. And he, say, he makes a statement. He says the New Testament is the light that comes into that room. Jesus is the light that comes into that room that expands everything so that we can see it as it was meant to see. And so the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they speak with one voice, with one name. And guess what that is? Jesus. From beginning to end, he is the storyline from Genesis to Revelations. And I want to read in closing a couple of passages from Revelation. Um, it's a book that you really don't read a lot because there's a lot of imagery there that you just can't understand, right? And we can go way out in left field. And, um, but, but John has this vision from God and, and he writes it down and he says this. He said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, speaking of Jesus, he says, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, he said, John, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said, what did he say? He says, it is finished. It's where our story begins. He says, I am the Alpha, 
I am the omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely give from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. And so everything that we read, everything that we experience, here's here's what I want to do. I want to open your eyes that God is not just present in the Old Testament, not just present as Jesus in the New Testament, but guess what, guys? He is present with you right here today. He is present with you in your mourning. He is present with you in your suffering. He is present with you in your your cheering. He is present with you in, in all areas, in all ways. And so I want you to see that. And for some of you, you you may be hearing this today and you're thinking, I hear what you're saying, but that's not for me. If God really knew the real me, he wouldn't accept me. Scripture tells us time and time again that, that he knew you before you were born. And as you were being formed, he knit you together piece by piece and solidarity in your mother's womb, that all the days of your life were laid out before you even took a single breath. And he didn't just make that plan in like the moment. He's made that plan from the very beginning because Jesus was there before the very foundation of the earth. The decision was already made to bring you back in relationship with him through that sacrifice, regardless of of how bad you think you've been, regardless of, of, of how shameful you feel, that has already been taken care of. And I want you to understand, like, like the storyline in Scripture is still being written through your life. And it's like I said and read in the beginning, it's like we read this as heroes, but, man, they messed up. Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer and a murderer and a liar. <laughs> and a thief, like, like all these things. But Paul says David was a man after God's own heart, own heart, because he understood the goodness of God and that the work was already finished. And that's what I want us to understand as we're leading into Easter, like, like, like all this has already been, been set up and put in play and we're just supposed to walk in it and enjoy it. So here's what I want you to do with, with every head bowed and every eye closed. If, if, if that's you today and you would say, Stephen, I don't, I don't really like my story. I'm If you knew my story, you probably wouldn't even talk to me. If God really knew my story, he didn't die for me. Jesus didn't die for me. Like, yes, because that was already taking place before you were born. It's it's not about you. It's about him. And it's about his goodness and his love for you. We try to make Christianity all about our love for him, but it's not about that. Our faith is all about his love for us. And that love is here for you today. You simply just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. And if that's you and you're here today and you need to either come into relationship with Jesus for the life, for, for the first time or or maybe again, you've left the Father's house for a season. The door's wide open for you to come back. I'm gonna ask you to take a step and just raise your hand and you can put it right back down. Nobody's watching. We're all family. But right in this place is between you and the one who created you to say, Jesus, I give you my life. 
That is the most important thing that you could do. All right, look up here at me, guys. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and I do this every single week. Whether you raise your hand or not, it doesn't matter. Like, those of you who raised your hand, I want you to, to pray from your heart those words. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me for what I've done. I give you my life. I believe that you loved me. You died for me. You were buried for me. You rose again to heaven for me, and you're coming back for me at some point. And that's all that you, it says that, that in that moment, all the old is gone, and all things are made new. So let's pray together. Father, we just come to you this morning, and God, I thank you for your word, that it reveals who we are, it reveals who you are, God, that it opens our eyes. And God, I pray that over the next several weeks, as we kind of dig in a little bit more in your word and, and finding you in all of scripture, finding your son in all of scripture, in that from the very beginning, that plan was made, that he, is, he, he was, he is, and he always will be. And Father, you saw those hands that were raised and even those that weren't, you know the hearts that were lifted and that need a touch from you, that need to encounter you, experience your love, unconditional love. God, I pray that you intervene right now. God, that you invade their hearts, their mind, their soul, and their spirit. God, that any doubt and shame of who you've created them to be is completely demolished and it is, it is refilled and refueled by your truth and your word of who you are and who they are in you and nothing else. So Father, we, we ask that you would open our eyes to see you in a new way, that our hearts would burn just as the disciples when we recognize your presence and we would surrender and submit to that in the moment to allow you to make us into who you want us to be. And so, Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together.